Hello and welcome back to The Brag. My name is Sean Feltz and I have a super special guest with me today. This is John Guerra of the Society of Jesus. John, how are you feeling today? I feel good. Thank you, Sean. It's like the third episode now. This is the third one so you've you know, been on. I mean, I guess I'm the super special You are guest. super special. Oh, it's, thanks, buddy. Yeah, no problem, man. Uh, anyway, today we're here <laughs> to continue our sacred music series yes. um, with kind of a particular emphasis today on what the music does for us, right? Within the liturgy specifically. Yeah. Um, yeah. John, opening thoughts on this? Yeah. I mean, um, I'm just going to echo uh, our, our, our last couple of episodes, the one where you and I were talking about prayer and the right. one where I was talking about composition right. of sacred music in my own life. Um, but the goal of prayer is always self-gift mm. uh, and sacrifice. Um, it's, it's a generous heart. It's generosity. It's magnanimity, right? Big right. heart, magnanima. Mm. Um, <laughs> and, and I, I think, uh, that music in the liturgy should foster that same goal. Mm-hmm. And I think we think about it in what's your favorite kind of music. And it's like, I just don't think about it that way. People go, people get, go, go, you know, John, I know, I know that you don't prefer this type of liturgical music. Mm. And it's not your favorite. And I'm like, it's not that it's not my favorite. <laughs> it's not that it's just because I don't like it. Right. <laughs> when I look at liturgical music, I'm not looking at my preferences, not even my cultural preferences. I'm looking at what is going to best uh, facilitate a posture of self-giving prayer, mm. of magnanima, of, mm-hmm. of big-heartedness. Because I think if that's the goal, I think we're becoming humble and poor in a really, really healthy way that yeah. allows the spirit to work. Yeah. Because I think I think we get into um, this this place of confusion in two ways, and it's on the opposite extremes of a spectrum. Mm-hmm. Okay. I think. Paint it for us, man. Yeah. So yeah. so like, let's talk about praise and worship. Okay. Let's talk about it. Okay. You and I both, you know, come from a place of of doing. Praise and worship music. Mm -hmm. We're both praise and worship leaders at different points in our life. Right. And um, it's so, so good and useful and beautiful and a part of our tangible experience of Christ. Right. But then there are people who, like, think that that's the only way to do it. Yeah, right. And they think that it's the most appropriate way to do it in the liturgy. Now, you have other people who think that it's totally inappropriate in the liturgy. And they hate it. Right. And there are people on the other side of the spectrum that also say... Gregorian chant and polyphony is part of their experience, and I know that's part of our experience as well. Right. But they say that that's the only way to do it, and it's the only thing appropriate. Mm-hmm. But then there are people on the other side of the spectrum saying chant and polyphony is not always appropriate in the liturgy. Right. So, so like, how are you supposed to reconcile <laughs> these two sides? Yeah. Um, the answer is, how are you going to reconcile these things in your heart? Mm. I used to get so mad at people. Uh, they'd be like, the umbrella over the church is very wide. <laughs> like, I hate that. There's I no really black <laughs> and white. There's gray. And oh. God made the color gray, and it was very good. <laughs> and it's like, <laughs> it's too much for me. That's 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 putting a burden on me. It's right. saying, the world is messy. Get over it. It's right, like, no, right. no, no. It's saying you belong, but like your experience is uncommon and stuff like that too. Right, right, right. Yeah. Or it's saying you need to just accept yeah. that there are other experiences. Right. Okay, move that's, on. That's. I think that is just an external surface level solution to the problem. Right. Do I think their intention is good? Absolutely. 
But if I was, I'm not going to have peace just by accepting the fact that people have other experiences than me. Right. In the liturgy, because the liturgy, something objective is happening. Right. We give ourselves generously, poor, humble sinners who are loved to the Savior who comes down to offer himself in body and blood back to the Father after we've consumed him. Right. So that when he's drawn up in the life of the Trinity, in body and soul, we are drawn into the life of the Trinity for our salvation and our glorification, yeah. our divinization. And there's something, I think, frustrating about reducing it to the subjective then. After, exactly. After looking at that. Exactly, because yeah. that's what's happening. It doesn't matter where I am in the world, right. what culture I'm in, what language I'm speaking, what kind of music it is. It's that is happening. Yeah. Right. The same sacrifice. Right, same, exactly. Yeah. And so... My question is not to accept that other people have different experiences. It's I need everybody to accept that we're all having the same experience first. Right. Okay, there's really something that unifies us. That's the only way to get to reconciliation and to peace about this. Right. And when we accept that, then we see that there are different manifestations of mm-hmm. the way people will to give themselves generously according to their culture, according to their ancestry, mm-hmm. their their ethnicity, nationality, race, right. you name it. Okay. Um it's, Im- it's important to do that. And the Second Vatican Council recognizes that. What the Second Vatican Council also says is that it needs to be done appropriately. Hmm. Mm-hmm. Right? Um, we as, you know, middle class white Americans, like, dancing's not a part of our worship in our past. Right. It's yeah, like, yeah. It's like, no, yeah. You know yeah. what I mean? It's like, okay, so maybe we shouldn't dance in mass. You know what right. I mean? <laughs> but let's give a country where somebody really offers worship through dance and has been doing it since ancient times. It's a deep right. part of their culture. Yes. Like that, like from Rome down, it's, it's, it's taught and it's, it's, it's true that that's a good way to appropriately worship the Lord. Right. Because when we dance as Americans, it's not a serious moment of self-gift and sacrifice right. to to a divine creator and savior. Right. Um, so it's different, right? We need it's to discern these things. But it's not that I need to accept that somebody has ex- that experience. That's just a surface level thing. I need to accept the fact, first of all, that we're all doing the same thing mm-hmm. and, that, and that that has different manifestations. But that there's not one way that's bad, right? Right but that there's one way that's preferred, mm-hmm. and we'll talk about that. Sure. Because the documents of the Second Vatican Council also say there's a preference for chant right. and polyphony, and, f- and that in, in a church, the organ should have a prominent place. Mm. That's what it says. Right. Now, that, that's very fascinating. Why? Because there's no culture in the world that um, has been doing chant and polyphony and organ like right. to 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 praise the gods right they've had different types of chant right but i'm talking about gregorian chant i'm talking about the chant that that came out of our very beginnings of this catholic tradition why is that important it came from the monks and the nuns in the desert there's a great book called harlots in the desert and it's about the first uh, religious orders in the desert in the early church mm-hmm. why is it called harlots in the desert because most of them were living promiscuous lifestyles or mm-hmm. were wrapped up in sex trafficking or were prostitutes and concubines. Mm-hmm. You know, they could have come from any part of any way of life and they went into the desert to get away from the world. Yeah. So, and their groanings in the desert in the spirit as they prayed the Psalms 
mm-hmm. is what developed the liturgy of the hours and chanting them and chanting the mass. It's right. like, oh my gosh, that's amazing. Yeah, that puts things in a beautiful <clears throat> perspective, right? Yeah, that it's it's something that uh, didn't literally come out of thin air, but sort of did right. in a different way than other cultures. It's yeah. not because we born we were born in the same place and looked the same way and worship the same God in the past. It's that we all came, all the nations gathered together, all sinful men and women gathered together in the wilderness Mm -hmm. to convert to the Lord Jesus Christ. And from there arises this new kind of culture that's not bound in biology, ethnicity, nationality. Right. It's bound in a redeemed sinner who's loved and is completely turned to the Lord Jesus. Now that that music is important because it's kind of primal in a way, right? But then there are people who sing it like robots, and that sort of messes it up. And then people go, "I don't like Gregorian chant because it's too hard, and it's, you sound like a robot." And I'm like, right. I, "I say those people aren't doing it right who are singing it like robots. <laughs> they think it's the only way to do it. If I do it now, God's going to hear me." It's like, no. And then <laughs> you've got people doing praise and worship, and they're like, "This is the way we do it." And look at look at how beautiful and it is and everything. But here's why I think Gregorian chant and and praise and worship can accomplish the same thing hmm. because they're both simple mm-hmm. and yeah. they're both right. humble right and they're both primal groanings from the heart that are authentic yes and when it's simple and authentic and humble anybody can participate right anybody can start singing anybody can take that ponder it in their heart and it becomes a part of you like everybody remembers the chants from from adoration mm-hmm. tantu mergo and the osalutaris you know it's like right or Holy God, we praise thy name. O God, beyond all praising. It's like we right. as Catholics ingrain we those know things those. in our hearts, yeah. right? Right. Around the world, people also have that about the Tantu America and the Osalitaris because mm-hmm. everybody has to do that during adoration. That's beautiful. Right. Um, well, and I, t- I tend to think just in sort of the, the praise and worship or not sort of argument or conversation. Yeah. I, I tend to explain it as I think not only can it accomplish the same thing as Gregorian chant, but I think it comes from the same place, to be honest with you. Oh, I yeah. think I think the same, w- definitely with what you're talking about, right? Just these poor sinners that gather just to, right. Right, to write, just to groan, right? Mm-hmm. I think the groaning is the best way to understand it. That it's just something deep inside of us that we just have to let loose. You know, that the praise that comes from everything we are. Right. You know, this is why, this is why somebody like Matt Marr is very successful because he'll take something that was ancient and do it in a praise and worship way with a guitar and make something ancient new. Right. While not, you know, doing damage to that chant while some people think he is, but he's not actually touching the chant. People (laughs) will still be able to do the chant. (laughs) You know, it's like, but if you think about it, like, listen, listen to this robotic thing, right? Like, um, let's think about the Agnus Dei at mass. Mm -hmm. Agnus Dei. And then they do this thing where they roll their R's. It's like, why are you British? Why are you rolling your R's? Why do you, you know, it's like, well, I mean, what if, what if you, what if you really sang it with heart, not yeah. in time like that. Right. Right. And it was timeless. Cause there's no meter in chance, not supposed right. to be counted. You know, like right. there's no, there's no beat. You can't count it. Right. You're breathing together. Good luck and recent studies show <laughs> that when, when people start doing Gregorian chant with each other, they begin to breathe at the same pace and in the same places. Cause mm. it's like, they're speaking. Right. Like you're reading a long prayer, but you're just like letting out these notes as you're doing it. And, and when it's really heartful and there's ebbs and flows, it's like waves on the, on the sand on a, on a beach shore going in and out slowly, going a little bit greater than going out. And when right. you start breathing, according to that, 
And doing that together, people's hearts begin to beat in sync sometimes mm. <laughs> when mm. they're doing Gregorian chant well. That's beautiful. I have no doubt the same thing can happen with a repetitive um, uh, piece of music in praise and worship style. Yeah. So what about then more of like the, the mass setting? You know, just how, how do you think, because you as, as a composer, you've written Several mass settings at this point. Yeah. I think what number are you on? Even like four? Oh, yeah, I've written more than four. Oh, it's, I've wow. got a lot going on. <laughs> okay, fair enough. I think it's a I think it's a part of my vocation for sure. Jesus yeah. is giving me a lot of music to write of different styles too. <laughs> it's like every time I write something, like whoa, that's different. That's different. Yeah. yeah. Well, I just feel like every time I see you, you're like, check out this new Agnes Dei I wrote, or check out this new, you know. And I'm like, all right, uh, which is awesome. But so that's obviously a big player in your own experience a big um i don't want to downgrade it at all but some a, a way that you definitely seem to connect with the liturgy that seem to absolutely subjectively participate in the object of reality right yeah. it, it, i mean i love the liturgy so much if i stopped loving the liturgy or looking into the theology of it and right. really spending time in it or feeling other cultures in it and traveling the world to see what they do i would stop writing for it probably I just think, um, yeah, people go, you as a Jesuit, you would write good music. Why don't you go get a, you know, find a way to have a place to go and a studio to right. do music and become a music Jesuit. And it's like, what? <laughs> I didn't What's come here to write music. Yeah. yeah. Music comes from, the music that I write comes from living this religious life. Right. And the beauties of it that are changing me and having mercy on me. Going out and accepting me. Right. Yeah. I feel like one of those people in the wilderness. I'm right. like, I don't deserve <laughs> to be here. If I let go of that just to write music, then liturgical music has lost its place. And that's why you get this whole genre of liturgical music that is about performance. Mm -hmm. It's happened in every mm -hmm. age and it's happening now. Right. Right. And right. it's it's I'm doing this because music is so great. Right. And God can creep in there if you yes. let him. Yes. But notice the way I had to say that. Right. If you let him, God might be able to creep in there. Right. But it's, it's, totally it's like, right, if it's about me playing piano like Elton John and <laughs> singing to high heaven, it's like, that's great. But like, we flipped it on its head. We flipped it on its head, right? And that can yeah. happen anywhere. It can happen with architecture. It can right. happen with art. It can happen with preaching. It can happen with pastoral skills and the way you hear confessions. Yeah. It can happen the way you treat your wife or your husband or your children, mm -hmm. right? Yeah. Uh, I mean, it's like religion always should have a purpose in your mind. Mm. It should not be uh, that you are the purpose of your religion. Right. And, right. and our religion's purpose is to unite us with the sacrifice of Jesus Christ that we might be saved and love God back, receive his love, be drawn into the life of the Trinity. Yeah. And so our music, for me, should facilitate that. And so as a composer, if I'm not focusing on facilitating a space of prayer, a cloak mm -hmm. of peace, a mm -hmm. garment to wrap around somebody, no matter where they're at in life, joyful or struggling. That what, what are you doing then? That now you're giving yourself to God, right? Because yeah. everything is an acceptable sacrifice to God. Jesus didn't become man and become incarnate so that in the liturgy, people who are finally perfect will give themselves over. No, he became incarnate and the liturgy is made of physical things and is in a space and time because he wants the sacrifice of everything as it is to be offered to him. And that's what will sanctify everything. Hmm. I was listening, I was reading this book by this Benedictine monk, and he heard Jesus say to him in adoration one day. This book is called In Sinu Yezu. You got to buy it. Okay. Uh, <laughs> Jesus says to him, uh, this monk, he's still alive, says to this monk in adoration, 
stop trying to perfect yourself before entering into friendship with me. Mm. I just want you to enter into friendship with me and that will perfect you. Mm. I love that. Yeah. That's beautiful. Yeah, I think that's a real tendency. I almost hopping back to our last episode we did that um, there's a real tendency to try to bring the perfect. Yeah, um, for sure. Bring bring only the perfect, I should say. Right. And and allow nothing else in, allow nothing else the space. And that's that's I think opposite of what maybe sacred music is supposed to do as well. Right, right? exactly. Sacred music should be the same way. The goal of sacred music and and its its archetype should be the same archetype of our soul. Right. It should be the way we're like, I'll, I'll, I'll quote this guy. He mm-hmm. was St. Margaret Mary Alacoque. She was the cloistered nun who received the sacred heart mm-hmm. visions. Mm-hmm. Her spiritual director was a Jesuit priest mm-hmm. and he's a saint and his name's St. Claude de Columbier. He's actually my, my oh, vow yeah, yeah. name and my vow patron. <laughs> yeah. Um, St. Claude de Columbier. And he was an incredible confessor, but nobody knows who he is because he did such a good job promoting the sacred heart. Everybody knows the sacred heart, but nobody mm-hmm. knows who he is. I just think that's, that's so, so cool, cool. Yeah. right? Yeah, that's incredible. Well, um, he asked Margaret Mary, why did Jesus want me to be your spiritual director? Why do I have to be the one to promote this? Why the Jesuits, you know, whatever, and why me? And she went and asked Jesus in a vision, and she returned to him and said, he said it's because you're his perfect friend. Hmm. And he wept because he struggled with so many sins. He struggled with habitual sins, all kinds of things. You know, I think a lot of pe- I think Claude de Colombier is our, is our saint for these times, <laughs> actually, because he received yeah. the mercy of the Sacred Heart but was struggling so much. But what does it mean to be Christ's perfect friend? It means it means to to strive for perfection. It means and that means to let God perfect you. Mm-hmm. It doesn't mean you perfect you. Yeah. You, we can't save ourselves. That's the whole point of Jesus being a savior. Yeah. Um I think even I, I mean even in reading like the spiritual exercises and things like that, there is a real tendency to read them as self-help, you oh, know, yeah. which is like totally no, that's that's kind of why I think it's advised for m- most people like not to read them, just to participate in them, like in a retreat or something. That's right. But um, yeah, I I mean I've been reading through it lately, and the, especially like when Ignatius writes about the examen, he does so in a way that's more like I I my first thought was like wow somebody could really read this in a very uh, sort of Pelagian sort of way. Oh, like, absolutely. Yeah, like I, I need to. I need to be aware of what I'm doing wrong so that I can fix what I'm doing right. wrong. But the Holy Spirit's in the details there. So many scholars and Jesuits and others, mm-hmm. not even in the Catholic religion or in the Christian religion, right? Right. Are are missing the Holy Spirit in the details. Mm-hmm. What does Ignatius have you do in the spiritual exercises after you admit your sin and confront it full on? You go to the foot of the cross and you wait and listen to what Jesus is saying. Mm-hmm. And if you've ever done that authentically and waited, you look up and God, his hands are pinned down. He will not hurt you. Yeah. His heart is sliced open. He will not keep his flesh and blood and love from you. Mm-hmm. His, you know, his, his yeah. eyes are sunken and he weeps with you. Yeah. Wow. I mean, God is responding and Ignatius wants you to speak a lot, but then he wants you to wait and watch and hear a lot. Yeah. And I think that's the detail that people miss. It's such a short thing. Now go to the cross right, and wait for Jesus to speak. Okay, well, that's a huge thing. Yeah. And that's essentially the end of, by the end, I mean capital E, end, like right. the reason why we Purpose. do liturgical music yes. and try to do it well. Right. Because 
the Holy Ghost is in the details there at the end. Now go to Jesus. After listening to a piece of sacred music, one has to ask themselves, have I been thinking more of a composer of myself or something besides giving myself to Jesus? Or have Mm. I forgotten everything? Has everything faded away and I'm being directly brought to Jesus? Mm. We call them music ministers because it's a priestly act to bring someone mercifully to the Lord in a way that draws them, that is natural to them, that is good for them, that is authentic to them, that is simple, humble, right, right, and clear. Yeah. I was thinking of that as you were saying, you know, you bring it to the cross right there and you wait. I think so much of of my own experience writing and and like for anybody listening, like I I still write and lead or praise and worship. Um, So in my own experience, sort of writing, um, I feel like that's been really true. Like any any time that like, for lack of a better way of saying it, like I have written something that has been, I think, good and, and worthy of of um, use for fostering this prayer. It's been in that context when I when I allow myself to begin slowly um, and patiently, um, and just sort of like take the pressure away from myself of like, oh, I'm going to write something now. It's like no, right. it doesn't come from that. You it have to wait for the spirit to move you. You do, and, and you, you have to be thinking about a church filled with people, right? That's when you right. write good things. I find like if I, I write something. selfish. Exactly. If yeah. I'm writing something because it's so super cool. Yeah. It's like, right. No, no, no. This polyphony was not good. Or right. this praise and worship was not good that I just wrote. Like, right. Either way. When I'm imagining the people of God and I'm wanting them to get lost in the moment of the liturgy and yeah. get drawn up and wrapped up into Christ who's drawing and wrapping up everything and right. presenting it to the Father, that, that's when something good begins to happen. Right. And I think when it begins from an authentic prayer. Um, I think, yeah, I mean, you talked about sort of your process where you begin with a prayer to Mary, right, yeah. through, through Mary's intercession, I should say. Um, I think that, that that gets at the heart of, of sort of what I'm getting at here, too, is that it has to begin from this space of authentic prayer. It has to begin from this. Right. Yeah. And that's why I begin with Mary, because it has to begin with yes. Yes. And she's the yeah. only person the who was a human and not God. Right. <laughs> who said yes so purely, so well that God incarnated into that place. He took flesh there and was born into the world. Like, we as sacred musicians, we as the church, Mm -hmm. should liturgically do that. Right. We should facilitate signs and symbols that not only promote that, but make that clear, but more importantly, like, allow it to happen clearly for people. Yeah, I think there's something to disappearing as the music minister, as the sacred musician, or, you know, there's something about disappearing. And that can happen in any culture. That could happen with a guitar. It could happen with an organ and chant for sure. The church says that, absolutely. Right. And that's why it's the guide, because all these other cultures can look there to see how can we make a pure offering of our gift. Right. So. Yeah. Well, I think we should probably wrap it up for the day. But, yeah, this um, is great. Hopefully we've given you guys something to think about next time that you're for sure. uh, listening to any piece of sacred music or next time you're going to Mass. Um, yeah, thank you, awesome. John, for thank being you, here Sean. again. This is great. Um, yeah, keep letting God work in your lives. See you next time. <laughs>